Hello, my friends. Welcome back for another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I wanted to jump on here real quick to let you know what we're doing today. Addiction Unlimited just turned five. And in honor of my fifth birthday, I thought we would go back to our roots with episode zero, the About Me episode. A minimum once a week, you guys, I'm getting messages from people going, where's episode zero? I can't find episode zero. So I thought this was the perfect time to go back to day one, the first podcast I ever recorded to celebrate Addiction Unlimited's fifth birthday. I want to say thank you to all of you. Some of you have been with me from the beginning. We've gone from a thousand downloads a month to tens of thousands of downloads a month, being a nationally ranked podcast in several countries. We've built this community together where we get to love each other and know each other and support one another. And I am so grateful for every one of you being here with me. You've been through some really hard moments with me and you've continued to support me. And I love you guys. And I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you for being here. Here's episode zero. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Angela. I'm an alcoholic. Welcome to Addiction Unlimited podcast. Today with me, I have Blair, and we are going to do something a little bit different than a normal episode. Um, I have to do this about me episode. So I asked Blair if he would interview me because to be honest, I don't really know what to say. I don't know what people want to know. I don't know what's interesting. And I didn't want to just sit with the microphone and ramble on endlessly. So hi, Blair. Hello, Angela. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. So tell me this. And I have put this out to like all my Facebook friends, like I said, what would you want to know if you were just getting to know me? What are the things you would want to know about me? And it was really interesting. Like a lot of people said, just be yourself and things. Like, and I was like, I know that, like, I'm going to be me. I get that part. But I don't know what information people would want to know about me. I don't know if people would be interested in my career stuff, in my sobriety stuff. Like, I really don't know. So I'm going to leave it up to you to come up with whatever kinds of questions you think are interesting or what you would want to know about me. Sure. And you want to start at the very beginning? Like, where are you from? I was born and raised in Kansas City. I lived in Los Angeles. And now I'm back in Kansas City. Why'd you go to L.A.? I just felt like I didn't fit in. I felt like I was very different. Kansas City is this amazing, mellow sort of city. And remember, too, that this was 25 years ago. It was a little bit different then. Kansas City has come a long way, even in the last five years. It's a very different, way more exciting city. But when I was just 20, it wasn't that exciting, or at least I felt like it wasn't that exciting. And I felt like I was a little more outgoing and probably a little more outrageous, so to speak, than the people around me. And I thought, um, I always loved California. And so I packed up my things and I left. So you literally just like looked at the map and go, I'm going to LA, like just from what you saw on TV or what? 
No, I had an aunt and uncle that live in San Diego. So for spring breaks and stuff, we would go out there. We went a couple of times and I loved LA, of course, because I am a child of 80s metal and hair bands and everything. (laughs) (laughs) And everything was Sunset Strip. And like those were all the bars that my favorite bands were playing in, um, certainly before they were famous, right? So I was always kind of in love with that. It's like Molly Crew. Yeah, of course. Did you ever see Tommy Lee in person? Of course. (laughs) I drank extensively with Tommy Lee a couple of times. Um, Once in Vegas and a couple of times in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Okay. I actually got the newspaper, right? Because this was before we had computers. So every Sunday, I would go to Borders Bookstore and I would get the Los Angeles newspaper and I would go through the classifieds looking at ads for apartments. But I didn't know what areas were good areas and what were bad areas. So I found this company called Roommate Finders and they matched people looking for roommates and people looking for a place to live. So I met this woman. She was absolutely phenomenal. The first time I called her, we were on the phone for like two or three hours. And I flew out there and met her in person. And I rented a room in her apartment. And I went back to Kansas City. I packed up a moving truck. I towed my BMW on a car trailer behind my moving truck. And I left. I had $62 in my pocket. Okay, well, how'd your parents feel about this move? Because uh, I know my parents personally would be very, very worried about a Kansas boy going to L.A. How'd they feel about that? Well, my mom is probably one of the most phenomenal moms ever, and she's really supportive. I'm sure she was scared out of her mind. At the same time, I am obviously a very headstrong person. So I don't, I mean, she never would have said like, I don't want you to go or you can't go, right? Like there, I don't think there was any way to really stop me. So she kind of, she just was supportive. I'm sure she was freaking out. How did you get into the party scene? Because I'm assuming that's... uh, Well, so I already worked in bars. Mm -hmm. So, And that's how when I left and I went out there, I only had $62 in my pocket, but I wasn't even smart enough to be scared by that, right? Like I just knew because I worked in bars, I knew I would be able to get a job pretty quickly. When you work in bars, you have cash pretty quickly. So I knew I'd be okay. You were in LA. And at what point did it, even your 20s, did you feel like maybe I'm drinking too much or? I remember having my first thought of I wonder if I'm an alcoholic when I was 24. And what I noticed was I knew that I enjoyed it more than other people did. I noticed that I wanted to spend more time with it than other people did. And I didn't drink a lot necessarily because I was a pretty new drinker in my 20s. I didn't really start drinking until I was about 20 or 21. So I couldn't drink that much, right? I didn't have any tolerance. But by 24, I just knew it occupied a little more of my mind space than it probably should have. And, you know, at the end of a night going out with my friends, everybody would be like, "Okay, see you later. We're going home. Call me tomorrow. And I would think, well, why are they going home when we could drink more? And it was just little subtle things like that that I started to notice where I knew my friends weren't thinking the same thing. I knew they didn't feel that way. Right. They were happy to go home and go to bed. I never was. I know you said you're an introvert. Did you feel like alcohol helped you out with uh, socializing? I don't know if I realized I was an introvert yet then because I drank all the time, so I don't know. When did you, uh, how long were you in L.A.? Because I know you came back to Kansas City, right? Ten years. Ten years? Mm Mm-hmm. 
So uh, what brought you back to Kansas City? Was that? So I was 30 years old. Honestly, I was exhausted. It's such an incredible and beautiful place. And I had such an amazing life there. And I still have a lot of my closest friends there. In some ways, I have an even more full life there now than I did before because I have the sober life there. But it kind of wears you out. You know, everything in L.A. is high maintenance. And I say one of my favorite things being back in Kansas City is that it's just so easy. Like I love wherever I'm going, I can just pull in the parking lot and park. Like I don't have to drive in circles waiting for a spot on the street to open up or a valet at the grocery store or, you know, have change for the parking meter or have extra money for parking tickets. Like I love just being able to pull in, park my car and go in wherever I'm going. Like here is just it's so nice and low maintenance and people are very different and it's just a much easier kind of existence here, which as an older person, I definitely appreciate. So how does sober living differ from Kansas City to L.A.? Oh, my gosh. It's so different. You know, recovery life in California is this really phenomenal thing. And there's so many people in recovery and they do a lot of really fun stuff out there. We can say, hey, let's go scuba diving tomorrow morning. And, you know, 20 people will show up. You like to scuba dive? Do you I like do. To, do you ever done it in Kansas City, scuba dive? Um, I know there are a lot of divers here, and people go to various lakes and dive. I like to go to the ocean to dive. Mm -hmm. But diving has taken me all over the world, and I love that. Like, I've been to some pretty amazing places to go diving, so. I guess we got to talk about what this, what made you become sober, decide that sober living is a life you wanted to choose. Honestly, when I moved back to Kansas City is when my drinking got really, really bad. I always drank alcoholically, not because I drank a lot from the very beginning, but because I drank every day from the very beginning. When I got back to Kansas City, I really kind of went off the deep end. It was, it sounds weird to say this because I was born and raised here, but honestly, moving back was really a culture shock because although I was born and raised here as a kid, I was kind of raised as an adult in Los Angeles, my first real adult years. I was in LA. So moving back was really, really hard for me. And I had such a stable life in California. I lived in the same place for a really long time. I had, you know, my friend group and, um, and I came back here and it's like everything was kind of turned upside down. And I was a bartender. I was a bartender for a long time. And I was a nightclub bartender, which was great in Los Angeles. It was not great in Kansas City 15 years ago because there weren't nightclubs. You know, like here, everything is a sports bar, a bar and grill. And that was really hard for me because I wasn't used to that either. So it's not like the, the different levels of drinking. Like, was that kind of... Yeah. And also, remember, I left because I didn't feel like I fit in. So when I came back at 30 years old, I didn't fit in any better then. In fact, I fit in even less than when I left, you know, 10 years prior. So I actually, I may be like the only person in the world that can say this, but I moved from Los Angeles to Kansas City and I actually had more bills. It was more expensive for me and I made way less money because the bar scene wasn't the same here. So mm -hmm. it was really stressful. And I felt like I stood out so much. Like I still, like I said, I didn't fit in, you know, I just stood out from everybody and, and it was really hard. And I felt like there were a lot of pieces of my life that I kind of had to hide and keep to myself because people would think you weren't telling the truth. You see celebrities all the time, certainly when you're a bartender and I, I could share those stories and think it was really awesome. And then people here would accuse me of lying and, 
that was really hard, you know, so I got to a point that I almost like started hiding my life or hiding my past. And it's funny because even when you meet people who are celebrities or whatever, even if you have a night of drinking with somebody or whatever, it doesn't mean that you're like their best friend. It doesn't mean I can pick up their phone and call them, right? Like I'm not saying I'm not having any claim to fame for the people that I met or ran into or maybe were regulars in my bar. Who is the biggest uh, lush in Hollywood? Is it Andy Dick? Uh, uh, i mean listen you're talking about a long time ago so it was very different people were in the limelight so to speak at that time and i'm definitely not saying any names on a podcast oh right (laughs) andy dick (laughs) it's not andy i'm just i'm just going by i never met him the tmz videos (laughs) so i i like this is a question i always ask because me me being sober for i guess four months now is like a lot of people Obviously, death scared me. That's why I wanted to quit drinking. It was in my family, so I didn't want alcohol to affect the rest of my life. That was the scary part. But looking at pictures of my nieces and nephew, that's the positive thing, like the light, you know, and um, doing very well. I'm uh, doing very well in my job. That influenced me a lot to be sober. Little things, going to the Royals game and getting to see all the aspects of the game, great for me being sober. So those are the like the positive, the light, I say. What are the, what's the light for you that keeps you sober? Wow, what a great question. I think that it's hard to even narrow it down. When I was drinking, I was always talking about the things I wanted to do. And I always wanted to travel. But when I was drinking, I would always talk about it. It was always these dreams I had, you know, I want to do this. And one day I'm going to go to this place. And I could never make anything happen. You know, not only traveling, but even small scale sort of things. I could never make it happen. And in my sobriety, I get to do whatever I want. Like I really can make it happen. Before I would think about, oh, I want to go to this country or this island. But I would never be able to put a plan together, pay for it, right? And then follow through and actually be able to afford to go somewhere and take the time off work. I would never, I was never able to do any of those things. In my sobriety, I can do all those things. I've been to some incredible places. I mean, it's been phenomenal. I get to do whatever I want. And people ask that too, like, what do you do when you're sober? And that's always my response. I get to do whatever I want. I'm not hungover and angry because I feel like crap. You know what I mean? Like, I really, I get to get up every day and I get to do whatever I want. It's it's amazing. Did you feel like you had to plan your trip around alcohol? I don't think I ever, I mean. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, when I was, I mean, listen, this is where I think alcohol is so much easier than drug addiction because alcohol is everywhere. Like, I can't go anywhere and not be surrounded by alcohol. So I think it didn't take as much planning, but everything cost way more, too, because my drinking habit was pretty expensive. But, too, when you live in L.A., I think there's so many great places to go that really are kind of a car ride. You know, there's so many awesome places you can go that are just a few hours drive. I think I did traveling more in that aspect when I lived out there. Whereas here, the really great traveling requires an airplane. Mm -hmm. So uh, AA, I guess my first experience AA was when I was in rehab, which is quite an experience. So how was your experiences in in AA when you very first started? And was was that in Kansas City when you first started? Yeah, I was in Kansas City. I think I was really lucky. My experience with AA was really good um, from the beginning. What has been my home group, my whole sobriety, was actually the second meeting I went to. And I just knew from the minute I walked 
in the door. I just knew I was home. Was it the couches being comfy? It was. I say that a lot. It was. Like there were couches and that helped a lot. But yeah, I just, I definitely felt like I fit in and I think that's really important. But, you know, I was around people that, that were like me, so to speak. I got sober at a very small meeting. I got sober at the noon meeting and our group has several meetings a day and at that time the noon was a pretty new one on the roster so really there were a lot of days that I would walk in at noon and there would be only six maybe eight people in the meeting and I think because I do have pretty bad anxiety I think that was perfect for me at that time to have it that small and kind of cozy And there were three guys in the noon meeting every day. I always talk about the three guys that were so important to me in my beginning. And two of the three of them had decades. You know, one had 20 plus years of sobriety. One had 30 plus years. And I just loved those guys. And I couldn't wait to see them every day and let them know I was still sober. I couldn't wait to hear them share because they were all three very different, but so smart. And they had so much wisdom. And I just loved them. And I couldn't wait to get there every day. But I don't think that I had any preconceived notions about AA before I went. Like I see people in my office every day that have all these reasons, you know, they've been to one AA meeting, and they give me 20 reasons why they don't like AA. And I feel really grateful that I just didn't have that. I I didn't have any reason to not like it. All I knew is that's where people went to not drink, and I wanted to not drink. And then those guys were there. They had 20 and 30 years sober, and they were there every single day. And I was like, mental note. 20 and 30 years sober, they're still Mm -hmm. here every day. They said, come every day. And I said, obviously, they know what they're doing, so I'll come every day. Did you find that intimidating, 20 years, when when they they stood up and said, I've been sober for 20 20 years? No, not at all. I thought it was amazing, and I just, I wanted to be able to do the same thing. Yeah, I know know when I first uh, joined AA, I was actually surprised there even was a table involved, because in the movies, it's literally just a (laughs) bunch of chairs in a circle, and like, so that's what I thought AA was all about. They do a lot of times put it in a circle, but everywhere is a little bit different, too. Every meeting has its own kind of personality. There's a meeting I went to in Dallas a long time ago that is in a restaurant and everybody sits in all the booths. Really? Yeah. Like it's literally in the middle of the restaurant. Yeah. Hmm. Well, uh, how about Kansas City Recovery? What's what's that all about? I, yeah. So Kansas City Recovery was a longtime dream of mine. You know, I started my career as a life coach and an interventionist. And I did that for a long time. And probably about three years ago, I started thinking I wanted there to be more resources in Kansas City for people that were coming out of treatment. Obviously, I have those conversations pretty regularly with families looking for various resources. And I just thought sober living was a great place to start. So I have a phenomenal business partner who lives in California. And together, we created Kansas City Recovery. We have men's sober living and we are getting ready to open a second men's sober living and we're just a new company we're doing really really well I think we've created something really special and it's super important to us and I probably am a little more involved than I should be but it is uh, it's just a gift you know we have a really healthy stable sober living and I love it and we have a, a great group of guys always and we have a little more structure than a lot of other sober livings probably but but we have a lot of fun, and I think that's important. Mm. And uh, in our guys, we're all really close. You know, we have good relationships. And we do a lot of stuff together, and it's dream come true. Yeah, I can say that it's been a great experience for me. 
Because when I came out of treatment, I had no idea what to expect. I knew I couldn't come back to just sitting in my apartment by myself. And uh, I'm a believer, as you know, and I believe that you guys were meant to come to my come to my rehab. And uh, I was meant to meet you guys. Because yeah, that's where we met you, huh? I, I yeah, you were a little late in train. <laughs> Um, we think it was a train was involved. And, okay, uh, let's talk about that for a second because here's mm. the <laughs> truth behind the glamour of sober living. So okay. we go once a month to this treatment center to talk to everybody about being sober people and sober living, all that good stuff. And I show up at the house that morning to pick up the guys to go with me to do this service work. And I walk in the door at the time I told him I would be there. One of them is still sleeping, and the other one is sitting at the table in his underwear, like eating a bowl of cereal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's what I was dealing with. That's why we were late. And I was like, I told you guys I would be here at this time. So anyway, we were late, and that was the day we met you. Yeah, because I remember I went up, and you uh, you were talking about you guys were planning to go to see Star Wars. And I remember you had said something about not being the best person to go to a Chiefs game with. Did you get crazy? Did you get wild at Chiefs games? Is that what that? No, not at all. I actually football is like the only sport I don't like. I'm sure they were probably talking about watching football or going to probably. football games, and I was like, no way, dude. I got to give you a lot of credit though. You come over here and you can you can hang with us, and you seem to enjoy it. So I mean, what what's that all about? I love. I tell so many people. I'm like, I'm. I'll be 46 in a couple of months, and I'm a girl, and my men's house is one of my favorite places to hang out. It's so much fun, and part of it for me is. From the inception of Kansas City Recovery and my first thoughts of what I wanted it to feel like, what I wanted the energy to be like, I didn't know how I was going to make that happen. I just knew how I wanted it to be. I knew I wanted everybody to be close. I knew I wanted us to do a lot of stuff together. I knew I wanted it to function as a family and not just a place with a bunch of roommates. I didn't want that feel at all. But I didn't know how to bring it all together, right? Because this is my first sober living. So it's like when... When I sit in the living room and a bunch of you guys are like in the kitchen or something and cooking and like everybody's laughing, like I swear I get teary eyed because that's just for me, it literally is my dream has come to fruition. You know, like it, it is exactly what I wanted it to be. And I still don't really know how we did it, but it's incredible. No, I, I definitely I actually when I see everybody having a good time or I see like some witty banter, I do step back and I take a look at you and I see this like sense of uh, you're proud that, hey, absolutely. And, and it, you're proud that. It's not so much like what you created. You're just like, wow, look at the magic that can happen when, yes. you, when, when, because we're all going through really hard time of our lives, and and I, I, I feel like this. What I say is, I'm feeling, like, you know, I'm 36, but I still like to say I'm a young, young, young guy. I got a lot, yeah. a lot ahead of me, but I feel like we're all so fortunate to at least recognize where we're at and that we needed to change, and we're all together and we're all doing it together, and you know, you help bring that. And I remember we were in. I remember being in Lawrence and uh, another one of my roommates. We were bantering about racing back, and he was saying, "I'm slow, blah blah blah." But I remember like you coming out and you were observing that, and you had a smile on your face because what you had uh, helped create. Yeah, so. it's so good. I mean, I do. Obviously, I'm biased, but we have such. A, a special place to get sober and, and get it together. And I do put a lot of emphasis on fun, you know, even with the 
the rules that we do have and requirements to be a part of the house. I do put a lot of emphasis on fun because for me, in the beginning of my sobriety, I don't know if I would have made it if I didn't have fun. I feel like that's one of the pieces that is so overlooked in sober living, you know, is that people aren't bonded. And that's why we do family style dinner, you know, and that's why we do that stuff together. And that's why service work is a requirement because we need to do that stuff together. And I am just as invested in this process as you guys are, Um, even though I'm in a different stage, you know, it's still to me, this is where my heart and my passion and my energy go, because I want everybody that comes through this house to be successful and to have the sober kind of life that I've had, right? I want everybody to have that experience. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, I I think a a big key also is laughter. Laughter heals a lot of wounds. And uh, can you comment on that? How maybe laughter has uh, helped you out? You know, I talk a lot about my going into my second year. I had a group of friends and we did a lot of stuff together. And I mean, laughter was the core of our sobriety. And as I think you know more about this story, but when I was really putting together the core of the house and how I wanted the sober living to be, I looked at all that stuff that me and my friends did in my early sobriety that I feel like kept me sober. And I kind of created the house around those things. Being together and laughing and having fun was a huge part of that. It was a huge part of that. But you know, if everybody here were just roommates and a bunch of people living in the same residence, and we didn't spend time together, and we didn't get to know each other and become invested in one another, then we would wouldn't be able to laugh together because it would be a house full of strangers. So it's like we have to put the time into connecting and really getting to know each other and caring about each other. Yeah, it's been a great experience for me. You know, I never thought I would uh, be in a situation like this, but man, on the outside looking in, yeah, it's a little different, a little scary. Man, it's like one big family once we joined, and uh, you know, it's it's really been cool. Uh, where do you where do you see this? Uh, you know, where do you see like the what's the short term goal and what's your long term goal? Well, we are getting ready to open a second men's house. Um, I do hope to have a women's house shortly thereafter. So that's probably the main short-term goals. I do want to put some focus into offering some more support services. Um, I don't really know what that's going to be yet, but we are brainstorming and trying to figure out what that might look like. Long-term, really, I think I'm going for global domination. And I don't have all the details of that yet, but uh, I'm just, I'm working on it now. You know, we're just going to start here. Speed round question. You ready? Favorite movie. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Second favorite movie besides that one. Donnie Brasco. That's a good one. Favorite band. Oh, that's tough. Okay. Can I say two? Okay. Journey and Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. We have, there's like three people in this house loves Dave Matthews. I know that's crazy because I get a lot of shit for loving Dave Matthews. Yeah, it's like he can't like him because he's liked. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah. Hmm. There's some weird cult following to not like Dave Matthews because he's so well liked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, if you could be anywhere in the United States, where would you be? Santa Barbara. Why? It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. Favorite restaurant in Kansas City. Capital Grill. Favorite memory as a child? My mom teaching me how to read when I was really, really little. Favorite memory as an adult? How do I have a favorite memory as an adult? Oh, all right. Um, my favorite memory. Oh, you want to hear my favorite? Can I talk about my favorite memory? Yeah, please. Let's, let's make this the Blair, the Blair show just for a little bit. Uh, my favorite memory as an adult, because I'm a huge Royals fan, a big George Brett fan, is um, his lat. He had just announced his retirement. Uh, my dad and I used to go to a lot of Royals games, and we went and paid $5 for the GA. I don't know if you remember those in the outfield. Yeah. 
and we're about to uh, walk out. It's the 10th inning, and my dad stops and says, let's uh, let's stop here. I think something magical is going to happen. And we stopped, and um, George Brett hit a game-winning home run. Oh, wow. And we were about to leave. Um, so that's my favorite memory. And uh, That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, here, you know, here's one. What's your one thing? What's the one thing that like keeps you motivated? To be able to do nice things for my mom. Every single thing my mom wants, I can have it for her like the next day. Whether it's a new car, a new house, a new kitchen in her house, a new whatever. Like the moment she says, I'd really like fill in the blank, I would like to have it for her the next day. Well, I can't think of anything else. No more lightning round questions. Those I, were good. They were good. You know, James Lipton from uh, Actor Studio? Yes. He has a question. It's one of my favorite ones. Well, what's your favorite curse word? Oh, fuck, for sure. Fuck, okay. And he says, if there's a heaven and you go up to heaven, what do you want God to say to you? I just want him to show me where all my dogs are. How many's up there? Two so far. Two. We got old, we got Henry here right now. Well, Henry's working hard, as always. Yeah, yeah. Blair, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. And we will let people know what episode number will be me interviewing you. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.